Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour, 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 my friend. I'm so grateful. (laughs) I'm up in Maine at our family's home on Deer Isle, which is so, so lovely. We love being here. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that after we pray. So let's take that breath of love and gratitude together and place our hand on our heart and wholeheartedly say yes to inspiration, saying yes to partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self. We are grateful and thankful that love is, that God is. We are grateful and thankful that our life is the life of God. Our mind is the mind of God. Our heart is the heart of God. Our very hand is the hand of God. We are here to represent, to represent the one who sent us. And we are willing to do an excellent job of that. We are grateful that we work for God Incorporated and we have a holy opportunity in each and every moment to reveal our holiness, which is fully intact. We are grateful. We are thankful to allow ourselves to live a life of profound love and healing. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. So grateful to come together, transcending time and space to know and recognize the infinite beauty that we already are. In gratitude, we simply let it be. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. Yes, indeed. Yep, this year it's uh, we did a family Zoom yesterday uh, with my dad and my nephew Alex, who is finishing up graduate program in Spain near Barcelona. He's uh, an architect, and my nephew Ben, who's an engineer, he's out in California. They just had the hottest weekend, hottest temps ever on record in LA. Uh, God bless everyone who went through that. And uh, still, the temperatures didn't touch anything like what uh, they get in Phoenix or in Nevada, but still, unexpected heat like that's brutal. And, um, yeah, we it was so nice to be together on Zoom because we couldn't be together in person for various reasons, mostly because of the... Well, 100% because of the virus. So we're we're dealing with it. But I've had a wonderful time hiking and biking and cooking and baking and kayaking. And it's been so nice to have some family time, time off. We love to play board games. So we've played a lot, a lot of board games. And um, the one that we spent the most time on... Oh, we played probably about four times. Very intense, long game. It's called um, Tapestry. And then we also played something called Machikoro. Machikoro. And uh, we like some Japanese games and different uh, kinds of games. We love Catan, but we did not play Catan because we put so much into Tapestry. All right, enough about me. I also, I believe, I'm sure I did, I talked about last week my experience, back to me again, of working with the course uh, over my finger that I caught in the door, and uh, I completely shut the car door on my index finger of my right hand, and it's still, the cut is still recovering, but it's just amazing, Uh, aside from the cut, I didn't have any problems, and the cut was not that bad. It just keeps getting reopened every time I bend my finger. and uh, But it's, it, it is healing nicely, as they say. Well, amazingly, um, I don't know if I talked about this last week. I can't remember when I did it. 
I might have done it just the night before last week's podcast. Anyway, my left hand, uh, I think I did talk about this. My brother had put this hot, 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 hot lid to a pan. It was much hotter than a pan lid would ever normally be because I guess for some period of time he didn't realize he had turned the burner on uh, and it was heating the lid, like the lid was on the gas burner and he couldn't see it because the lid was covering it. And so he heated up that lid till... I mean, it wasn't red hot, but it was so hot. And then I went to move it because he put it on the counter, and I didn't know it was hot. Why would a hot lid be put on a Formica counter? Anyway, I burned all five of my fingers. And during this past week, I had, uh, as (laughs) the Beatles made famous, blisters on my fingers. Yeah. Big blisters on my fingers. And uh, it's kind of an interesting journey, which I won't tell you about. But the main thing for me was that first initial experience, the first few hours when I was in searing pain, if I took my hand out of the ice water, and then I was fine as long as I kept my hand in the ice water. And I actually had a pretty darn okay journey with the whole thing and the blisters and the healing of the blisters is still happening it's been very interesting but what was so clear was it was all about guilt was I going to try and make my brother feel guilty for having done this to me right all he did was put the hot lid on the counter and I, I saw that temptation quite a few times to blame him or make him at fault for me having burned my hand. Yes, he did something we could say he wasn't paying attention, he wasn't thinking, but we all do things like that. Of course it was not on purpose. He had no intention to wound me. In fact, of course, in hindsight, I can see extremely clearly that what's, you know, we don't know what anything is for. But as we open up our mind and take out the trash in our mind, remove the uh, intense patterns of upset and repeat and upset and repeat and upset, you know, blame and resentment and regret. Uh, and then repeat and repeat and repeat as we get rid of those patterns we start to see more clearly so I was able to very clearly see that there was some temptation to blame him make him wrong make him feel bad about it and again I had a similar experience yesterday they have uh, my brother and his family have a puppy dog who is now about eight months old. I wrote about this in my daily shot of spiritual espresso today, my blog today. Um, and last night, while I was writing the blog, <laughs> I had done something I do all the time, which is I wear slippers in the house. I don't wear shoes in the house. When I come in, I change from slippers to shoes. And um, so I had my slippers on, and I had taken one off so I could tuck my foot underneath my bum as I sat on the sofa. I like to sit that way. I don't know why. It stretches out my knee. And it is, there's actually a posture in yoga where you sit on your foot, and it's, it's good for you. So I must know that. I think it has something to do with digestion anyway. So I had one shoe on my one slipper on my foot and one slipper on the floor. And without me noticing, that dog came and got that slipper. And she she has had a great interest in these slippers. And um and then 
I, you know, I was focused on writing, so I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. And then I heard her chewing on something. I said, that's not a bone. That's something different. And I realized she had my slipper, and <laughs> she had already just ruined it. So I'm like, oh. And of course... Puppies are going to be puppies. You can't blame a puppy for eating a shoe. That's what they do. If you put shoes on the floor when they're puppies, they're like, floor is my territory. If it's on the floor, you have given it to me. (laughs) So that's what happened. Um, And so I'm like, oh, puppy ate my slipper. And my brother just kind of went, oh, that's too bad. I would like more empathy, more sympathy, more like, oh, no, your slipper, oh, that's so awful. I didn't need him to pay for it or anything, but just like, you know how people are. You'd like a little recognition for your grief, right? For your, like, (laughs) and, but you see therein, again, was the temptation to say, look, this is your fault. You did this to me. But I was so clear that the only person I was annoyed with was myself for leaving. And I wasn't really annoyed. I was more like, oh, can I get another pair of these slippers? Because they don't make them anymore. And I knew that. They discontinued them. And they're my favorite slippers. And it takes a long time for me to break them in because I have weird feet. And anyway, so... And they weren't cheap, so I had to wrestle with my little ego thoughts about those things for half a minute, and then I was fine. And uh, and don't you know, this morning my brother said, let me pay for the slippers. And I was like, well, it's all right, don't worry about it. But you see, these are the little ego journeys that if we're highly intentional, we will recognize them. And... This is part of what the second law of chaos is about, and that's what we're looking at today. So it's chapter 23, section 2, the laws of chaos. Last week we looked at the first law of chaos, now we're looking at the second law of chaos. And what Jesus tells us here is, the second law of chaos, dear indeed to every worshiper of sin, is that each one must sin, and therefore deserves attack and death. Each one must sin, and therefore deserves attack and death. This principle, closely related to the first, is the demand that errors call for punishment and not correction. So the first chaotic law is that the truth is different for everyone. So that was the first law of chaos. The truth is different for everyone. And so this second law that everyone must sin and uh, because they are all sinners, everyone deserves attack and death. You see, it's simple. Law one, everybody has unique versions of the truth. Of course, that's going to create chaos. And it will reinforce the sense of separation, that we're not united, that we're not one. And that's why we have different versions of the truth, because we are so different. We're not united. And we can see this play out in all kinds of things. We can see it play out in class wars, in race wars, in ageism, in sexism, in, you know, people who... um are less attractive, experience tremendous amounts of prejudice. I've seen it. Uh, I've definitely seen how more attractive people get more attention, they get more favors, they get all kinds of stuff that less attractive people just don't get. And uh, people who are more attractive have no idea. They just have no idea unless something happens to their physique and now they become less attractive. 
and people who have any kind of uh, difference, there it just becomes a point of separation. So different truths for different people, and everyone is a sinner. Everyone deserves attack and death. So this is where we can see that because everyone is a sinner, everyone deserves attack and death, everyone deserves punishment, right? There's a call for punishment, not correction. So this is one of the places where we can really make some traction in our spiritual practice. This was a massive realization for me, a huge difference in my life. And I'm so happy to be able to share it with you today. And that is that when there's an error, let's just correct it. No one needs to be punished. No one needs to be attacked. No one even needs to be corrected. Right? So, like with my brother putting that pan lid that was screaming hot on the counter you know it's a miracle he didn't burn it right burn destroy the counter because i i once just barely touched a pan out of the oven on the counter and it made a um, mark in the um formica and uh I did that during the time my mom was really sick and she was not mobile enough to come in the kitchen and I thought, thank God my mom can't see this. She'll never know. I don't have to tell her. Ugh, you know, and I felt bad. And now I see it and I I do feel a little bit like, hmm, sometimes. But I don't feel guilty. I don't feel ashamed and I don't feel like a sinner. Because I've worked with this. But you see, the work that most people do with this is to keep alive the idea of the sin, of the uh, punishment. So I can see major healing for me this week where I closed the door to the car on my finger, wounding myself, and I said, I'm not going to have this big painful experience of, no, I'm not having that. This is the first day of my vacation. I am not having that. And even in when I woke up in the night at Lisa and Bill's house, and it was, I went to the restroom and I came back and it was so painful, I said, I'm not having it. I'm not going to stay up all night nursing this painful figure finger i'm not having it i'm not having it and i i i went to bed i went right back to sleep and i learned a lot from that and it was helpful to me in preparation for burning my five fingers on my left hand just a few days later and these things could have ruined my vacation of course they could have right they absolutely could have i th- It's so important that we work at the level of the mind. It's so important. It's so valuable to us. We, one of the ways that we play small in our life is we think our thoughts don't matter. But this this is the truth of it. We don't want our thoughts to matter. We don't want our thoughts to be able to call things into the world of form. Because we want to be able to, we like to be able to say, oh, she's an idiot. Oh my God, that guy is such a jerk. What a loser. We'd like to be able to say those things without condemning those people and without really having an effect on their life. We just want to be able to have our judgments. But as we mature spiritually, we will come to realize, as, as we're willing, we will come to realize 
that all thought produces form at some level. There are no idle thoughts. These are direct quotes from Chapter 2, Fear and Conflict section. All thought produces form at some level. So, when we give ourselves permission to say things like, that guy's such an idiot, I hate that guy, I, you know, uh, what a moron, uh, look at that loser. When we give ourselves permission to think those kinds of thoughts and say those kinds of things, then we are saying we are not willing to recognize the power of our thought. So we are consciously choosing to live a small life, play small, in order to hold on to these attack thoughts and deceive ourselves into believing that they have no effect. They do. I have worked with so many people as a spiritual counselor and a teacher, and in my programs, you know, we really work together. It's not just, uh, yeah, it's not just reading things and listening to things. We're actually doing real work together. And so we're looking consciously at our thoughts. We're looking consciously at our true willingness. We're doing the really deep healing work. And in doing that, people shake themselves loose of valuing being able to attack. Remember what I was just saying here in the second law of chaos, that everyone is a sinner and therefore, everyone deserves attack and death. So, don't we love to say, Oh, look what they've done. That's a sin. We might not use the word sin. Of course, miracle students aren't going to use the word sin. But we're going to look at the politicians and the people on television and the newspapers and the magazines, the people in our church, our friends and our family, and say, Oh, that's bad. What they're doing is bad. What they're doing is wrong. That justifies our attack of them. One of the things I've seen as a counselor is that uh, when people are willing to really do this work with me, they will totally transform their relationships. It's it's one of the main things that happen. You see, and people don't work on their relationships, not really. They're blaming other people for the problems in their relationship. They're blaming other people, even for like a parent who blames their child for being irresponsible, uh, someone who blames their family member for being an addict, somebody who blames uh, someone for not being fiscally responsible and all of that. This is all the enactment of the second law of chaos. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone deserves attack. Everyone deserves punishment. And so what people don't realize is you actually want to project your own belief in yourself as a sinner onto other people. You feel relieved when you can project it onto other people. It takes tremendous fortitude and usually it takes tremendous support for people to be willing, just willing, to start to own every thought that they think and stop the habit of projection. So, this is why calling attention to this is so helpful to us. Oh my goodness, it's absolutely precious. Wow. So, you know, if you'd like to come and do the Stop Playing Small work with me, I'm doing my retreat September 18th. We have payment plans. If our payment plans don't meet yours, we'll always invent one just for you. Getting out of these habits of attack, self-attack, attacking others, looking at 
the le- our life through the lens of lack. There are so many mental patterns that people don't even realize are operating. It's like operating under the radar. And they can be healed. They can be transformed. And so much freedom comes forth. This is what my programs are about. I really strongly encourage you, if you have the time right now, Come do Stop Playing Small Retreat with me. It'll be so much fun. You'll be shocked and surprised by how uplifting and inspiring and fun it can be. And then uh, and then follow it up in October with my Finding Freedom course. And by the end of the year, you're going to feel like this is your best year yet. And you're going to be so, so grateful. I have money-back guarantees. So come do the work. Let's do it. Now's the time. And speaking of now's the time, now is the time for me to take a break. And as I go to break, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. I I really love and appreciate you. I truly do. I thank God for you. I'm Jennifer Hadley. You're listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio. Where we're living the love, we're walking the talk, and I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. we're back. We're talking about the laws of chaos, second law of chaos. We're in chapter 23, section 2. And uh, just to recap, the first law of chaos is that everybody has their own version of the truth, which reinforces a sense of separation. We're not all alike. We don't share the same mind. We don't have things in common. We don't even have the truth in common. You can see how That creates chaos in the mind, chaotic thinking. Second law of chaos is that we're all sinners. Oh, we're all such sinners. And because we're sinners, we deserve attack and death and condemnation punishment. And what Jesus says throughout the course is that those who make errors need correction, not punishment, correction. And it's such a great thing to understand for parents, for grandparents, for co-workers, for any human being who is relating to other human beings. It is so helpful for us to understand that when errors are made, we need correction, kind, loving, compassionate correction, not condemnation and not punishment. Right? We don't need the guilt, which is, I'm sure, precisely why I just had these experiences where I injured myself uh, through shutting the door on my finger in my car and then trying to move the blazing hot pan lid that uh, caused me to seriously third degree burn my fingertips, all five of my fingers on my left hand, so both hands injured. Both were opportunities for me to feel bad and wrong and stupid, sinful, punishable, and to project out onto my brother in the case of the burns that he was responsible for that, that it was his fault, he shouldn't have this, he should have that and to go down that road, which I didn't want to go down because I know it does not help. Making other people feel guilty is punishment. And I'm projecting out my own sense of punishment that I should have done something differently, that I shouldn't have been so stupid and all on and on and on. So we can nip all these thought patterns in the bud by recognizing them when they happen. So that's it. I, I, I didn't count the number of times, but it certainly was a handful <laughs> to uh, 
that I felt tempted to make my feel my brother feel bad for having done this to me, you know, for having left that lid where somebody could touch it. But he had no intention around that. And even if he did, he wouldn't be in his right mind, right? If he intended to hurt me, which of course he didn't, he would not have been in his right mind. It would not be cause for punishment. It would be cause for correction. And we can live this way. We can absolutely live this way. Not needing to punish, just correct. Correct and correct and correct. I need to correct my errors every day. I don't get through a day without correcting errors. I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit because if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have seen and known and recognized what was going on uh, and recognized, oh, if I say that thought, that would make my brother feel guilty. So he did say two or three times, I'm sorry that happened. And every time he did, I just said, stuff happens, Mike, it's all right. And it really wasn't, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't how I was feeling. How I was feeling was like, definitely, the thought was, he did something wrong that caused me serious injury. Third degree burns on all five of my fingers. You know, the full pads of the fingers burned, literally to a crisp. (laughs) And that was my thought. And it's your fault because you put something hot on the counter. You shouldn't have done that. I did say once, like, you can't put something that hot on the counter because it can burn the counter, which I knew from my experience of having accidentally touched the baking pan and burning the counter. So that was just a cautionary thing. But I did want to remove any sense of guilt that my brother might have gotten triggered into. Similarly with my, um, (laughs) uh, I guess you could call her, she's my niece puppy. She's not my niece. She's not my puppy. She's my niece puppy, my brother's puppy, eating my slipper. I was definitely annoyed with myself for not realizing you cannot take your foot out of your slipper. She's going to grab it. And she did. Um, Because she had done it already 10 times, at least once a day she had done that. But this time she really had a go at the slipper and chewed it up and ruined it but um you see there's just these opportunities that we're presented with all the time and so where we can make people feel bad and feel guilty and this is the second law of chaos that's why i'm talking about it right now because if we can recognize these are the egoic patterns because we all i think can easily recognize that making someone feel guilty by telling them they did something wrong, would uh, be egoic. It wouldn't be loving and compassionate. But many Course in Miracles students I encounter would say, but he did do something wrong. He did. You have to say that's not okay. She did eat the slipper. That's not right. She has to be taught that's not right. It's not my job to train his puppy. It's not. And it's not my job to train my brother either. However, through love and compassion, we can say, hey, by the way, I seriously burned my hand on that pan. So let's not put hot pans on this counter. Plus, it could ruin the counter. Um, Or if, and that's exactly what I did say to him, and I said, or if you are going to put something like that on the counter, just give a shout out to people. Hey, don't touch this. This is very hot, you know. But he made an error. He made a mistake. 
it, there was nothing intentional about it. And this is one of the things that I learned was I grew up in a family, maybe like other families, where I was trained, like if that had happened 30 years ago with my father, 40, 50 years ago with my father, he would have yelled. He would have yelled. Somebody would have been punished, all of that, because that's how he was raised. That's what he knew to do to teach people right and wrong, right? So we're evolving very quickly here. And so we don't have to, like, my, I could say I was angry at myself for, um, touching the pan and things like that. But I really didn't feel any anger. I, let me just go back there. No, that's not true. I did feel anger and it was directed at my brother that he did a bad thing. He did a wrong thing. But when I sat with my thoughts about it, I knew it wasn't true. So the anger went away. And I could easily say to him, when he said, I'm sorry, it's, I said, it's okay, Mike, stuff happens. You didn't do it intentionally. I know that. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, being able to respond that way to the people we're in relationships with, even if it's the person at the next table in a restaurant that you may never see again, but, you know, they spilled hot coffee on you. They didn't do it intentionally right? Things happen. And it's for us to work with our mind. And I know that. I know that. So if I put it out on my brother, if I put it out on the puppy, then I'm not taking responsibility. I'm not responsible then for what I see and what I feel. And then there's no healing happening in this experience. There's only reinforcement of the egoic thought patterns which will bring more pain but if I am willing to work with my mind at this level then there's healing and there's less pain in my future I am a hundred percent clear that I came to this family vacation uh, feeling that as I do every family vacation, I'm interested in having the maximum healing that I can have with my family. Because I know that I'm like everybody else. I still have some stuff coming up with my family to be healed. There are still triggers being discovered and rediscovered. And this is my opportunity for healing. And that's what I'm interested in. I am not interested in being right or righteous at all anymore. I'm not interested in making anybody else feel wrong or bad anymore. I am so I'm so not interested in that anymore. I made myself sick, I could say sick to death, uh, with that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude, the blame, the shame, the regret, the resentment. Oh my gosh, I invest, I, that's how I played small, with all of those kinds of thought patterns and spinning around in them. I used to spend my vacations with my family going over and over and over my upsets and figuring out how could I uh, make them feel bad about it? How could I bring this to their attention again and make them feel bad about it? I literally used my mind in that way. And this is why... I'm so dedicated now to helping others who would like to relieve themselves and their families of these thought patterns. One of the things that for me is one of the most extraordinary, wonderful things I get to participate in is when people have family members that they've stopped talking to or that have stopped talking with them. And that through doing this work at the level of the mind, because all minds are joined, there is a tremendous healing that occurs, and it occurs for everyone in those relationships. So the whole family is healed. The marriage is healed. 
the relationships with parents who are long dead can get healed. Um, there's so much healing that can occur. It truly is unlimited. We can heal these things back to the root cause from lifetimes ago if we're willing to really assiduously, at, you know, really, really put the energy and the time and the attention into it. We can have such tremendous healing. And this is the thing that I find. Many students don't go that extra mile. Wayne Dyer had a program that he recorded, and I, I was there on retreat with him when he recorded it, and it's called um, It's Never Crowded Along the Extra Mile. I don't know if that's his saying or what, but it certainly is true. And many times I encounter A Course of Miracles students who've been studying the Course much longer than me, and when we talk about willingness, when we talk about intention, they are not even aware that there are uh, so many opportunities to apply willingness, to apply intention, that they don't even recognize. They don't even see them. And it's totally understandable. It's totally understandable. I was not willing to see many of the opportunities I had for healing until I became willing. I became willing, and then, boom, it, I was doing it. <laughs> so now, this is the thing that I'm most grateful for, and it is the thing I've been most grateful for for about the last 20 years, is my willingness, cultivating that willingness. But a true willingness is to do just exactly what I'm talking about here. The temptation rises in the mind to say, you did a bad thing, whether it's directed inner or outer does not matter because we're all one. It's the same. As it says here in the second law of chaos, everyone deserves attack, death, punishment, condemnation. That is the belief system of the ego. So every time we give in to condemn, to attack, we are giving in to the illusion and the delusion of separateness, and we are keeping it going. We're keeping it going. And that is not willingness. There is no willingness there. It's like uh, Jesus says in the Course, how can you say you would like the peace of God, but you're not willing to employ the means necessary to attain it? I remember when I first read that. It's, it's very much like the ends is in the means, right? If you think of the ends as in the means, you think of Gandhi, you think of, I think of Gandhi, I think of King. They, they are talking about you cannot bring peace with war. The ends is in the means. So we're here to help correct the delusion, not to punish people who buy into it. That doesn't help. We're here to be truly helpful. We're here to represent the ones, the one who sent us. So if we're attacking, if we're punishing, we're not representing the one who sent us. And this is crucial for us to understand here. So then he says in this paragraph four about the second law of chaos, the destruction of the one who makes the error places him beyond correction and beyond forgiveness. So, in other words, when we go into blame, when we go into punishment and um, condemnation, we are saying that person is beyond correction and beyond forgiveness. How would, first of all, that's never going to be true. And I use the word never intentionally there because we're talking about uh, spirit, pure spirit, and n no one is beyond the love of God. 
ever. We are the love of God, so that can't even make sense. But we do put people beyond correction and beyond forgiveness by condemning them, by thinking they deserve to be punished. And then what happens, and people don't even realize this, then what happens is we suffer. It's not just that they suffer, but we suffer. So, for instance, there's an there's a, uh, extraordinary documentary. You can watch it on Netflix. It's called 13th. 13th. It's about the prison system, and I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but just if it calls you, look it up. In this country, we, in the United States, uh, our prison system has grown hugely in recent years. And there's a cost for that. There's a cost to us in our spiritual growth by allowing it. And we can say, well, I don't have anything to do with that. Yeah, we do because our tax dollars pay for it. So if we don't question it, if we don't get involved, it's just going to keep going because it's huge business for a small number of people who have gotten very wealthy on it, which is their intention. And they write laws in the country to imprison more people, and they run the justice system to imprison more people because of the big business that it is. Let's not be naive about it. These are the facts. But when we are only uh, punishing people, and it could be how you deal with your dog, right? It could be how you deal with your children. It could be how you deal with the politicians you see on the news. If you think that they all should be punished and not corrected, then you're saying they're beyond forgiveness, beyond love, beyond correction, and then who's going to suffer? You are, if that's your take on it. And you know that you are suffering, right? I, I, I can say this because this was me. I used to think that people were beyond forgiveness, that they were beyond correction. I thought most people were beyond forgiveness. Most people were beyond correction. And I'm so, so grateful for the spiritual teachings of Ernest Holmes and of Jesus, uh, as well as those of King and Gandhi and others, because they have helped me to see the error of my ways and my projections and have helped me so much. So then Jesus goes on to say here, if we believe that somebody's beyond correction and beyond forgiveness, we say, he says, what he has done, the one who's beyond forgiveness, is thus interpreted as an irrevocable sentence upon himself, which God himself is powerless to overcome. What? So sin cannot be remitted, Jesus says, being the belief the Son of God can make mistakes for which his own destruction becomes inevitable. So in other words, that our sins are beyond the correction of God. Well, you can see how this would easily lead to a belief in death, right? So that's it. We deserve attack and death because our sins are unforgivable. God cannot help us. We are beyond the help of God because we are such lowly sinners. This is the thinking. It is. Now, Jesus says, think what this seems to do to the relationship between the Father and the Son. Now it appears that they, the Father and the Son, can never be one again. For one must always be condemned by the other. So the Son must always be condemned by the other. This is why he says earlier, everyone deserves attack and death. Because everyone is a sinner. He says now, this is paragraph 5, now they are different and enemies, Father and Son. And their relationship is one of opposition. Just as the separate aspects of the sun meet only to conflict, but not to join. One becomes weak, the other becomes strong by his defeat. And fear of God and of each other now appears as sensible. Made real by what the Son of God has done both to himself and to his Creator. 
The arrogance on which the laws of chaos stand could not be more apparent than emerges here. Here is a principle that would define what the creator of reality must be, what he must think and what he must believe and how he must respond, believing it. It is not seen as even necessary that God be asked about the truth of what has been established for his belief. His son can tell him this, and he has but the choice whether to take his word for it or be mistaken. So you see what this is saying here is that we've come to supplant God. We've come because we're right and God is wrong. We're saying, oh no, unforgivable. These errors are unforgivable. They're not correctable. They're unforgivable. So we know better than God because God would forgive everything. No, 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 no. And so these are the basic fundamentals of how chaos is created in the mind. And we become deeply disturbed and we become angry and we become morose and we become, uh, we wake up in the morning with dread, right? Who wants to continue in a world like this? So next time that you casually would like to attack someone, make them wrong, and rather than help them correct the error, you would like to punish them for it, just recognize your salvation lies in offering the correction, not the condemnation. And I'm sure that's why these things have happened to me recently and why I get to share them. And I'm so, so grateful that my experiences can be helpful to others. You'll never know how grateful I am that that is so. And this is so for all of us. Yes, I am grateful. I'm so grateful to you, the listener, and I feel connected with you. I feel we share a sacred bond. I thank you so much. I feel the energetics. I do. As I'm speaking these words, I feel you. (laughs) I feel your love. I feel your beauty. I feel your magnificence. Yes. Thank you. Quick reminder, Sundays with Spirit happening every Sunday. Stop playing small retreat. Start September 18th, Finding Freedom in October. We are blessed and we are a blessing. We share the benefits of our healing with everyone because we are one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. I love you. Have a great week. Mwah.